0: Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Crossroads, it's great to be with you today. Uh, To our online crew, thanks so much for worshiping with us. This is where we're going to part ways here in just a moment. Uh, Your guest speaker today is Pastor Glenn Pfeiffer, a personal friend. Denise and I get to hang out with Glenn and Denise uh, several times a year. Our church board is taking a field trip up to see their facility next month, but you get to hear Glenn in person. So, See you later. Thanks for being with us this morning. Welcome
1: to those of you watching on the live stream at home and also later on, maybe today or during the week on YouTube. uh, Just uh, continue to have multiple options to kind of be part of what's happening and to worship together. And I'm glad we can all be here now. And uh, when you were growing up, how many of you played board games? Did a bunch of you? A lot of people played board games. I was actually very curious about this. How many of you play board games now? Okay, still a decent, decent number. I wasn't sure if that would change. I was waiting for the kind of this poll moment here because I wasn't sure if that would change because of video games. Like, people are playing video games now, and they're not doing that so much anymore. And, uh, you know, I can't play video games. Like, you know, my son Austin, he... He uh, plays uh, soccer, and he's in the Premier League, and I can't even kick the ball in the goal. So, I mean, you know how that works. I mean, I, I'm just no good at this, but, but board games are still a big deal. We still have a board uh, game ministry here at our church, you know, worked its way through COVID, and, you know, we have a great group of people that meet and play games here. A lot of people still do. And, and I want to start today with our first board game, which is the game of sorry, i don 't know have you ever played the game of sorry, I got a picture of it here. This is the what it looks like, and then this is the the board itself and and the game is uh, is interesting because the The object of the game is to move your pawns, to move your game pieces uh, from uh, the start area around the board to safety in the home area. So you wanna move your pieces around, and to win, you gotta get all your pawns, all your pieces into the home section of the game board. And uh, in the process, not only do you get to advance your pieces, but the goal is kind of to knock other people who are making progress back a little bit, impede their progress so you get to be the first one that makes it home. And so what can happen is you're moving your pieces and suddenly someone comes along and they can slide into you. They can occupy your space and they bump you, they block you, they impede your progress and they send you back to the beginning. And when you do that as a courtesy because you're just a super nice person is that after you bump them all the way back to the beginning and say, I'm so, so sorry. You're not sorry, you know it, but it's the name of the game, you're supposed to say it. So, sorry that I bumped you, sorry that I blocked you, sorry that I sent you back to the beginning, sorry that I'm winning, winning, but that's the way the game goes. And it's a fun board game, but sometimes what happens is we, in, in the context of life, uh, have the similar things happen, where life imitates a board game, where we can feel like maybe we're making some progress in our lives. We've got some plans and a little momentum and then suddenly someone comes along and occupies our space, blocks us, impedes our progress and kind of sets us back a little bit. It can happen in our lives and along the way, there can be some damage incurred as people hurt us And this can happen not merely as a small inconvenience, this getting injured. These are relational injuries that we can incur in this life. It's not merely a small inconvenience. We have those two. You know, like the, the rude customer service person, you're on the phone and they're just so annoying. And it's like, probably for a couple hours, you, you texted three friends and told them about it. And it's like, but you get over the rude customer service person or the roommate, you know, the roommate that borrows your toothbrush. I mean, did you have to do that? Did you have to borrow the toothbrush really? And they steal your food. You got your name on it. You got your name on it. And yet they still ate the chicken and you know just don't understand why i mean this is bigger than that it's it's the coach that kind of berates your kid because they don't perform at a certain level and they do it in a public and, and humiliating way and it just makes us angry it's the, it's the business partner who steals money from us it's the friend who betrays us these are the types of things that can start to happen and build up in our lives that we're dealing with you know some girl that's bullying our girl Uh, It's a boss who mistreats us and we start to carry some anger over that whole thing It starts to get bigger and bigger over time Some of us have dealt with that from the very beginning of life itself in our home of origin Where we grew up in a home where a parent didn't treat us right Didn't love us the way we should have been loved didn't respect us as as We should have been and and we grew up thinking that we were the problem We're the problem, we're the problem. We hear that for years and years, and we grow up thinking, I am a problem, this is what I did, this is who I am. And it's only later that we realize that our parents actually were the problem. And in fact, sometimes they are carrying wounds from a previous generation, that they've been hurt, and they've had some dysfunction in their home, and that's the pattern that they lived with and they grew up with, and as a result, they've imported into, into their relationship with you. And it's like, man, I've been hurt, and they've been hurt. And no one has had the courage or the ability yet to break this cycle of dysfunction. So it just keeps going on and on and on. It really is a picture of, of the truth that hurt people, well, hurt people hurt people. And this means life at times can be really harsh. It means that life can feel like a board game People are smashing into us, stopping us, colliding us with us, blocking us. And sometimes they say sorry, and often they don't, but it always, always hurts. And the question is, how do we deal with it? Because we're gonna get hurt, we're all in this game. How do we deal with it, how do we proceed? A lot of times, we go the wrong route because there's something within us that has this tendency to choose the wrong solution to the relational injuries in our lives. We just have this ability, all of us. Our default is to make the wrong choice. And on top of that, we have a world of people who are operating out of the same dysfunctional default telling us, this is how you do it. This is how you solve your relational problems. So for some people, when they get bumped or bruised or knocked down or hurt or injured, they ignore it. They just kinda push it down. And they say, you know, I just don't wanna even think about it. They, they kinda say, yeah, it was a big deal, but it's not bothering me, I'm bigger than all of that. Now, I don't know if you've ever played sports uh, over the years, if you've played football or soccer or anything like that, or if you've ever been injured doing something like that. I've had all kinds of injuries over the years, uh, from sports or being outside all the time, pre-video game era, I was out all the time jumping or doing something ridiculous. But I got hurt in a million different ways, so I've had concussions, I've had problems with uh, broken, bo- broken bones, sprains my arm a couple different times, sprained ankles, uh, I've had a, lo- a lot of issues, even like, uh, have you ever had, this is fun, Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? I mean, that's fun, it's like you're doing something and then boom, just like right down and all the air leaves your lungs. It's just, it's a tremendous experience. If you haven't had it, um, it's not recommended, but so you have this moment and you're like, you're sucking in air, like, ah, it's like, oh man. And you should have that experience because it makes you so thankful for the breath that you're about to take. But yeah, there's these things that happen, and, and uh, I've blown out my ACL, too, which is a whole other story. I've seen every star in the universe. I know them. I started naming them. Were, it was so, bro- so brutal. But here's what my friends told me when I got hurt. They said, listen, just suck it up. Come on. This is... If you were bleeding, you would literally get dirt and put, rub dirt on it. And I thought that was a solution. I thought for years that was the best way to handle a, You know, if I was bleeding, you just get, put some dirt on it and, and we just kinda suck it up and we just gotta, you know, march forward, undeterred. That's what we did. But here's the thing, have you ever broken a rib? You're not marching forward doing anything if you break a rib. I was playing football, and as I got older, when you're little, you can tackle and get crushed, and it's no big deal. When you get older and bigger, and I was in high school, why we do this, we were playing tackle football without equipment. And a guy, and we were all strong and pretty fast. And this guy got me pretty good with a forearm in the chest, and I cracked a rib. And I could tell you, that was not something I could ignore. I mean, that was something that I carried with me for quite a while. And it, talking was hard, breathing was hard, coughing was a disaster, utter disaster. Sneezing was a catastrophe. <laughs> catastrophe, do not sneeze, it's the worst. Keep the pepper far, far away. It was not something you wanted to do. And, and so there really are some wounds you can't ignore. We can try, we can push them down, but somehow they keep impacting us. It's particularly true when we get hurt relationally, when we ignore it, when we push it down and say it's no big deal or I've processed it, but there's still no real processing. It's a rationalization in our minds. Inevitably, that pain will seep out. It shows up in our lives. It shows up in our new relationships, our current relationships. It's etched even sometimes on our face. Ignoring it doesn't work. Other people say, you know, I'm just going to deal with this by medicating my problems. I'll pop some pills, I'll smoke some weed, you know, I'll drink, uh, I'll drink my problems away, and, and that way I don't have to think about it. But that's a disaster as well. It only masks The problem. It never deals with the root causes of our angst or our anxiety. And if you really want to make your life worse, drink your problems away because it's progressive. At first, you cope with a little bit and then you want a little more. And you have to have a little bit more and a little bit more. Next thing you know, you're not in control. You think you are, you're not. But alcoholism is brutal. And you can see the toll it's paid on many here and many we know and in our society. Alcoholism does huge damage to countless marriages and families and and careers. If you drink too much, you are on the path to big time problems because those problems won't go away and your real problems are just gonna get way, way bigger. Still others go an entirely different route when they face issues or a relational injury. They actually revel in their injury have you ever known somebody like that that they're always hurt and then they come into like school or they come into work and they got a cast like hey got a cast look what i got it want to sign it sign my cast it's like man well what were you doing i was doing something incredibly powerful and amazing and then i got hurt. okay okay i fell in the garden okay but no, I got a cast. And it's like, some people like revel in it. It's like, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I got crutches, yep, crutches, crutches. And like, and there are some people who are like that. It's like, there's always something going on where they've been injured and they keep that injury alive and super visible for others because they want some sympathy for it. They get a little attention because wow, you got a cast. You've been, you're dealing with this injury. You're dealing with this problem or this pain. And so they will, again, try to keep this alive because they get something out of it, the attention they crave and they feel that they need. But there's one other response that is the most devastating of all. It's a temptation we all have, but it is so toxic. It's like the nuclear option that will not only destroy you, but everyone around you, and that is when we get hurt And we seek revenge. Revenge is this idea that that the best day of my life is going to be the day you suffer like I suffered. The best day of my life is the day when you hurt like I hurt. That'll be the day when I really come alive. We will feel better. I will feel way, way better when you feel way, way worse. And payback, man, it's sweet, and I can't wait to take that debt and make you pay. This is something that that really builds within us this vindictiveness, this hatefulness, because it aligns with our own makeup, where we just want people to know how damaged we are, and we want them to hurt like we do. But this leads to pain. This doesn't solve the problem. It makes our lives far, far worse. In fact, the American Psychological Association calls this desire, in fact, it's, it's got a name. They name this tendency that you and I have. They call it the revenge paradox, and this is what they write about it. They say, rather than providing closure, taking revenge does the opposite. It keeps the wound open. It keeps the wound fresh. If you seek revenge, you've just etched that pain in your soul, and it's going to be really hard to ever overcome that. It's, not never, it's never, ever the way to go. And so if all these ways don't work, ignoring it and, you know, just kind of pushing it down and the whole idea of medicating it and I'm going to revel in it and seek revenge. If all these things, carrying bitterness and nursing grudges, all this doesn't work, what in the world does work? What's fascinating about the scripture is that the Bible isn't just about some like ethereal stuff like up in the heavens, intellectual ascent that people think about has no relevance to my life, my marriage, my home. That's a caricature of faith that's fake and phony. The truth is God's word is relevant to every part of our lives and certainly our emotional life as well. And it's fascinating that Paul writes 2,000 years ago about these exact same issues because they back then were human beings like me and you who have real issues that have to be resolved. And he wrote about this tendency to deal with injury the wrong way. And he tells us in Ephesians 4, a better path forward. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What's interesting about Paul's writings is he follows a similar pattern in all his epistles, all his letters. He starts out with what we could call the indicative mood and moves to the imperative mood. And what I mean by that starts with the indicative and it says, because this is true of you and for you, therefore live in a certain way. So at the very beginning of the book, he's describing the blessings that we receive as Christ followers. He he lays out this this big, big, uh, lengthy description of the blessings that we have as Christ followers, that we are loved by God, loved by our Creator, loved by our Savior, that we are forgiven by our God for all our screw-ups, and they are numerous, and God forgives us of those things. And in fact, God lavishes, it says, His riches on us. This is a picture of a good God with a good plan for your life now and for your future beyond this life. And because all of this is true, Paul says, the indicative mood, therefore live now in light of that truth. Let that truth shape you and form you and motivate you and inform the direction of your mind and spirit now. So because you are blessed, therefore, live in a certain way. And in this case, he's saying, you should be different. You shouldn't be like everybody else. You shouldn't just be like your friends at work. You shouldn't just be listening to every voice that tells you how to handle your stuff. Because they're screwed up sometimes and they're way, way off. Even the talking heads, the pundits, the people that have all this education, a lot of them are way, way off. But scripture takes in to account our wiring by the God who did that wiring. And he tells us this, the better way forward is this, get rid of this bitterness. Get rid of something. Think about that, get rid of something. It says that we're all tempted to dive into the wrong things. We're all tempted to embrace the wrong things, things that are not emotionally healthy. Every one of us has this temptation to go the wrong route and to embrace things and pursue things that are not in our long term best interests. We're all tempted to take a path that doesn't lead, lead to this conclusion, the end where we are the best version of ourselves. This is not us at our best. There are some things in your life and in mine that are not us at our best. We might as well just be honest. There are no super spiritual have it all figured out people here. We can just dismiss that phony religious stuff. Paul's talking here about real life that there's stuff within you and me that we got to get rid of. And what are we getting rid of? Bitterness, rage, slander, brawling, malice. And we read that and say, why? Why would we why would we do that i mean that's natural right we're gonna brawl i mean that's what i was taught when you grew up it's like you brawl with me i'll brawl with you let's go at it you know you talk about me come on i can talk too i'll talk about you you gossip about me and undermine me and sabotage me and knife me in the back i can do that too we're encouraged to do exactly these things they're natural you know, they might be warranted. This person deserves it. They're a jerk, you should put them down. This is justice. This is the way we need to do it. It's essential. I, I have all the rationale in the world to explain why. But in the process of, of going that route, of being bitter and resentful and cultivating these things, we alienate ourselves from other people we alienate ourselves from a loving, gracious God who is not like that at all. So Paul says there are some things in your life and mine that we have to get rid of, but that's not enough. It's not enough to just get rid of something, have this vacuum. We, all, we need to replace it with something positive. We need to replace it with something that's healthy, uh, that builds relationship and takes, takes us to an outcome down the road that we'll be proud of. And we'll be glad that we've taken that route. And so instead, we should be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Kindness should be an earmark of your life. Compassion should be a differentiator between you as a Christ follower and someone who doesn't know him. And forgiveness is something every one of us should embody and work at and demonstrate because God has forgiven us. And I think this really tells us that when the pieces on the board begin to collide and people slide into us and obstruct and hurt us and there's damage, the most important thing that we need to do is to forgive as Jesus forgave us. You need to forgive as Jesus forgave forgave you. And the comparison here is huge, that, that we're to forgive others in the same way that we've received forgiveness, we're to distribute forgiveness to other people. The comparison is huge. We're to do it with grace and patience, not with hatred or seeking vengeance. Now, I just want you to think about that, because aren't you glad today that God doesn't treat you as your sins deserve? I want you to think about that for a minute. Aren't you glad that, that God doesn't treat you as your sins deserve? That God doesn't make you pay for your screw-ups, the times you spit in his face, you defied him, said, I don't need you, you know, uh, took your fist and said, God, I, I'm, I'm declaring my independence from you. I don't need you. Don't, don't obstruct me. Don't let your big piece knock into me. Don't occupy my space. The truth is we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And, and we say, well, maybe I, I just, I haven't been that bad. So maybe God would be okay with it. But here's the truth that if you break one sin and the Bible says as you break one law, the Bible says you break them all. In other words, if you're corrupt even a little bit, you are fully in the corrupt category. And that next place where we're going has no corruption. It's a corruption-free zone, which means you can't go there and I can't go there no matter how many times we've fallen into any particular sin. So we're all in the same boat. We're all messed up. We all need forgiveness. And that's where God says, I'll forgive you, and now I want you to follow my example and to forgive the person who offended you as well. Because the truth is you'll never need to forgive someone for more than God has forgiven you. So we need to have the same attitude. This is the distinctive feature of faith. It will be very hard, but we're to have a heart and spirit and our emotional center shaped by his love, his grace, his kindness. You've probably heard the phrase... In the past, it's attributed to Alexander Pope. It says, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Well, that's 100% true, because we all err and we're all human. But to forgive, it's a divine thing. It's a sign of God. When we forgive, we're most like God. It is very much a divine thing. And Jesus sets the example for that, and we're to follow his example And to do that for others but what about justice you know what about man i i don't know is this letting them off the hook if i forgive them you know i need to hold my grudge i need to hold my bitterness i need to seek revenge i i gotta figure this out and and make them pay because if they don't you know they're gonna get away scot-free and well that's not true because the next step here in forgiving our offender is this, let Jesus take care of the justice side of the ledger. Let Jesus take so- care of the justice side of the ledger. You're really not making somebody pay by holding on to your bitterness and your anger and nursing that grudge, you're really making yourself pay. And Paul says, that's not our role, that God has a, pl- has a big part in this. Romans 12 describes it. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome don't do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, what Paul is describing here is a one on one ethic. Uh, there are different ethics in the Bible, di- different spheres or areas of, of where ethics uh, come into play. This is the interpersonal realm that he's talking about. Uh, Nations have a different realm that they operate in, and we're going to talk about that uh, some next week. But this is the interpersonal realm that we also see in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And here we see that there are certain ways we are to operate as Christ followers, and this is where we then give up certain things that the world says we should grasp for. He says we should give up, and we are not called to be the prosecutor. We are not the judge. We are not the jury. We are not the prison guard. You're not responsible for imprisoning the person who hurt you. You are not responsible to make sure justice prevails or that a sentence is administered. Your job is to forgive and then give that offender, relinquish that offender into the hands of God who is just, who sees the whole thing, who will do the right thing and in the end, the right thing will prevail. And this is important because it means that God will do the divine things. He will see the whole picture. We'll do our role and let God deal with the offender the way He wishes. He's not blind to the hurt that you're dealing with. He's not oblivious to it. He's not like on a coffee break and, oh, I missed that one. Oh, I missed that. I'm, oh, yeah, I just uh, I went out of a, a room and I missed. What happened in that scene down there? I missed that scene. Like when what happens to us, we're watching Netflix. No, He doesn't miss this scene, He sees the whole thing. He knows exactly what's going on, and he will bring justice. He will bring the right outcome. And this means there's no value to us holding bitterness, no value in seeking revenge, no value in holding a grudge, no value at all in being hateful. In fact, if you hold on to your anger, and I want you to think about this, if you hold on to your anger you actually make the person who hurt you more powerful. If you hold on to your bitterness and your resentment and your anger and your grudge, you actually make the person who offended you more powerful in your life. They have more influence over you, over your personality, over your thoughts, over your emotions. Why would you allow someone that you don't even like who hurt you to have more power over your life? You actually unwittingly allow yourself to be re-victimized when you hold on to a grudge. This is something we need to let go. Carrying hatred and bitterness and seeking revenge is like drinking rat poison and expecting the other person to die. So it's like, oh, I got this can of rat poison. You know, I'm so mad. Oh, I'm so mad. I'm so mad at you. So I'm going to pop this open and just drink it. And it's like, There you go. So, what's going to happen? We kill ourselves from the inside out. Nothing happened to that person. But that's what happens. We're drinking rat poison, and it doesn't taste good. And we expect the other person to die, and they don't. This is where forgiveness has huge value to our lives. And this is why we need to forgive as Jesus forgave us. I, th- I just want to say something quick. Uh, we don't have time to get into this too much, but forgiveness is not reconciliation. Again, we don't have a ton of time here, but reconciliation is the step beyond. Forgiveness is me saying as an individual that I'm relinquishing you as an offender into God's hands, and I'm forgiving you. I'm not going to continue to charge you. I'm not going to continue to let this fester in my life. I need help to do that for sure. But just because you forgive doesn't mean you'll be reconciled. Reconciliation is when two people come together and say, you know what? I screwed up too. Yeah, you did. We both did. Okay. And then you work at your relationship and you find healing. There are people in our church and people I've known over the years who have damaged each other in a bad way, big time, who needed to forgive and actually went from forgiveness to reconciliation. Their relationship is together. It's intact because they're two separate things. Sometimes it doesn't happen though. Sometimes it shouldn't happen. If somebody is abusive towards you, or you, know, you have to set a boundary and say, I'm not gonna be re-victimized by this, you forgive them, but reconciliation is another step altogether. But there are huge benefits to, again, canceling other people's debts. Whether they say sorry, or they don't say sorry, that's not the issue. You cancel their debt, why? There are huge benefits. First, it protects our relationships. It protects our relationships. The idea of forgiveness is a financial concept in the scripture. It's like this idea of, of canceling a debt that somebody has. And sometimes people go through life, you know, with this ledger, with this ledger, tallying all the different ways that people have hurt them. Do you know people like that? They have a mental record of all the different ways that they've been hurt. Yeah, so-and-so hurt me there. Sometimes it could even write it down. got the secret notebook of, of offenses that I've suffered. But if not, if it's not in a notebook, it's definitely etched in our mind. It's like, yeah, I remember that. Remember when they did that and they did that? We carry this ledger along through life. Of all the things we've suffered, we kind of go through life with this kind of "the world owes me" attitude. The world owes me something, you know. We go through life with a chip on the shoulder. You ever you've heard that phrase? A a few years ago, John I was at a John Maxwell uh, conference, and he is a author and a leadership guru, and he was a former pastor. I remember when he said he talked about you know having a chip on your shoulder. He says, "Yeah, if you have a chip on your shoulder, it's an indication that there's wood above." I was like, wow, okay. So I guess I got some wood going. I got some, uh, okay, not a good idea. So this whole idea of this ledger, you owe me, we go through life kind of counting up the debts. What that does is it fundamentally changes us in terms of our energy. Because you and I only have so much energy. And if we're spending our energy nursing a grudge, and that takes work, if we're spending energy pushing down anger and bitterness, if we're spending our energy you know, trying not to think that thought about what that person did to us, that's energy that we're not able to put into current relationships, that we're not able to put into productive things, that we're not able to put into our careers, that we're not able to put into the future that we're trying to carve out for ourselves. In other words, you only have so much energy... And you're, you're actually self-sabotaging yourself by giving a key part of who you are to someone that you shouldn't be giving it to. We need to understand that limitation and not nurse that grudge. Not push down those emotions that are just beneath the surface. We think, "Oh, I'm not angry anymore," but it pops out with sarcasm. Pops out with, you know, passive aggressiveness. It pops out with this kind of just outburst of anger, and it's like, "Oh, we push it back down." It's like, "Oh, that that was in me. I I thought it was gone. It's never been gone." And you're spending a lot of energy doing that, pushing. We need to forgive to protect our relationships. We need to forgive to protect our health. You know, a lot of doctors today will tell you, and there's study after study that says that emotional problems are one of the primary reasons people go to the doctor. They think it's a physical problem. You know, I've got a stomach, or I've got fatigue, I've got something going on. But there's often sleep issues and stress issues, emotional tensions that are at the root cause of all this. If you hold a grudge, your stomach absolutely is going to keep score. Your body tends to do that. You're not wired to hold on to these things. Your, the headaches and fatigue, the sleeplessness, that can, vary, that can definitely be a symptom of a load that you should not be carrying. How you handle slights and injustices, uh, how, how you navigate a sometimes unfair and cruel world is going to affect you physically. So we have to get that right. Uh, Job actually talked about this, and that's what's fascinating. So, a guy who lived thousands of years ago was a human being like you and me, had the same tendency to get this wrong. He says, One man dies in full vigor, completely secure and at ease, his body well-nourished, his bones rich with marrow. Another man dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. If you don't forgive, there will be bitterness of soul. It will make you sick. Forgiveness is for your good. It protects your health. Last of all, forgiveness protects us from the dark side of our personality. Forgiveness protects us from the dark side Of a personality Everybody has strengths and weaknesses And we have positive things And uh, not so positive things Going on inside of us And we know that when you get married And then there's somebody that's closer to you And more in proximity to you Than ever before and you realize Why does this bother you? This is me, this is me And it's like it is you but it's not you at your best And it's like oh I got some things I got to work on Yes and then so do I It's Like one of the best gifts God gives us is a close friend or a spouse because our lives butt up against them and we start to see that I pretty much orient my world around me and now I got to count for you and I see some stuff in there that's not me at my best. And so this is a true part of who we are, that we have this element within us that doesn't take us to a good outcome. And David, interestingly, talked about that very same thing. David, uh, king of Israel, was a man who hurt a lot of people, did some horrible things to other people, but he had horrible things done to him too. He was betrayed by his own son. He was threatened. Uh, They tried to murder him. They were hunting him down. He was a a, a a refugee on the run. He had all kinds of problems. Lots of people hated him, wanted to knock him off. He had lots of reasons to be bitter and resentful. But when he allowed that to happen, it didn't show discipline to say no to those thoughts and emotions. It affected him. And there's a fascinating scripture that describes how. It's in Psalm 73, verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless, I was ignorant, I was a brute beast before you. In other words, when I cultivated bitterness, when I cultivated that that anxiety that comes from every thought I had of you. And I think of that person who wanted to hurt me. It's like, oh, I, I don't want to think about it, but it popped up again. It's like, I got this bitterness. I got this resentment. I'm nursing this grudge. I got all this going on inside of me. And then as he did these things, and as he allowed that ha- to happen, there are other voices around him saying, David, yeah, you have a right to feel this way. You should feel this way. This should not have happened to you. And, you know, you should make them... pay." All this is circulating, and he starts to do a little introspection to say, is this good? Is this really taking me to a good place? Is this giving me peace? And the answer was no. Because bitterness actually has the power to not only alter your mood, it can alter your mood. It's like, what happened to you? Like, you were okay, and then suddenly you just got a bad mood how did that happen well some thought something happened this and it's like boom it just changed me it not only has the power to alter your mood but it actually has the power to change your personality it can change you you can become a different person over a period of months and weeks and years when bitterness resides in your heart david looked at himself and said what have i become i a brute Beast, I didn't start out that way, but I've been thinking about the wrong things. I've been listening to the wrong voices. It can happen to us. Bitterness can change our personality too. Our base nature wants to fight and in the end control us. It can lead us to extreme actions, bad moods, It can lead us to the point where we actually self-sabotage ourselves and we can begin to embrace values that we don't even really value. We begin to live in a way that goes against our biblical commitments that is counter to our love of God. It can drain the joy out of our lives. It can etch a frown on our face. But even worse, bitterness and resentment and anger that's unresolved, that will etch a frown on your soul. And that changes everything. And so we really are in good shape when we understand that forgiveness protects our personality Because God doesn't want us to become that brute beast, he has something far better in store for our future. Forgiveness isn't for the other person, it's protective of our relationships and what we value most. So this is why we talk about the game of sorry. Because at some point, someone is gonna bump into you, somebody's gonna slide into you, somebody's gonna collide with you, Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to do some damage. And the question in that moment is, how will you respond? How will you deal with that anger? And I want you to ask yourself today, is there someone in your life that you've not forgiven? Are you carrying unforgiveness today towards someone? Are you carrying bitterness or resentment or a grudge against someone in your life. I want to encourage you today for your own sake as your pastor friend and because Paul says it most of all. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's not good for you. It's not leading to a good outcome. It is not you at your best. And don't wait to feel like you want to do it because if you wait to feel like it, you'll never feel like it. Forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's an action you take. We are to forgive as God forgives us. And when we get that right, whether people say sorry or not, we will align ourselves with a way better future if we just release it to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God that you call us to do hard things, but you've done hard things. You call us to forgive others, but you've forgiven us. You call us to let go of bitterness and resentment and anger. and Lord, you've let go of bitterness and resentment and anger. Lord, help us to be like you. Help us not to listen to that base nature, that brute self within that wants to take us in a different direction that says I'm going to insist on my rights I'll make you pay for what you did help us to be not like the world that cheers that on gives us the rationale for it Lord help us to be like you and give us the strength and the power to do the hard thing the right thing because we know God at the end there will be peace We know at the end our joy will be restored that frown on our face that frown maybe on our soul can be changed and we can find joy and peace again lord we love you we thank you god that your word sends us in a direction that 10 20 40 a thousand years from now we'll be so glad that we've taken we will be like you and we give you praise and we give you all thanks in Jesus name Amen
0: Thanks again for listening Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction You can find out more about us at CRBIC.org That's CRBIC.org